and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this evening, or today, or whenever you happen to be listening. Because joining me today is a lady by the name of Carla Kopp, who is from Weird Giraffe Games. And uh, she has a game coming out very, very soon. In fact, in about a week's time, which is coming out on Kickstarter, which is called Stellar Leap. So we decided to get um, Carla on to have a little chat and to find out a little bit more about this game and why we should be leaping about the stellar places of the universe. So um, good evening to you, Carla. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. What about you? I'm very, very well. I'm very, very well indeed. Um, Now, for people who are joining us for the first time, um, thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is because we simply don't think that there's enough podcasts out there about board games. Um, And the other reason that we do this is because um, I'm interested to find out what a space game will be about when it's made by a company that's called Weird Giraffe. (laughs) So that's that's why we kind of asked... That's why we kind of asked Carla to come on. But one of the things we like to do is we like to find out a little bit about the kind of the history, where the where, you know where you've come from in your journey um, to do with cardboard. It's not like um, America's Got Talent because that kind of journey. I don't expect it to be full of horrible <laughs> things and things <laughs> like that. It's kind of more just a general because um, cardboard's fun. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your history? with a hobby first of all so in college i played a lot of magic so i went to a lot of board game stores but after college um i had some friends like i moved to huntsville alabama where i didn't know basically anyone but i did have one friend sarah who was super into board games so we started playing board games all the time so after that um i think my first real board game design was uh, with Agricola. So uh, Sarah loved Agricola. We played Agricola constantly. But Mm -hmm. it only has a certain number of players that can play it. So I was like, well, you want to play Agricola with seven? Let's do it. Let's make this (laughs) modification and we just do it. Like, oh, we need to add another player? Let's do these changes and see how it works. So that was like my first real board game design thing. <laughs> Did you continue kind of playing along other games as well? Or were you the type of person that kind of took a game and then kind of kept modifying it? Have you always kind of tinkered? Have you always been a bit of a tinkerer since the kind of the beginning? Um, I, Not really. Like I've tinkered where I needed to, but a lot of games like the base game of Agricola, you, you don't need to really tinker with. Like, if there was a problem to solve, I could probably solve it. But uh, I didn't tinker just for fun. <laughs> Do you have, I mean, um, what kind of other games were you, were you kind of used to be playing with your friend then? Was there any ones that kind of stood out apart from Agricola that you really, really kind of loved? So we didn't play that many games. Uh, we had just graduated from college, so we didn't have, like, a lot of money. Uh, we mm. played Catan constantly. Um mm-hmm. I think Munchkin, but Munchkin got old really fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like they had the space expansion, which I was like, yay, space. And then it just destroyed everything, and I didn't want to play it like ever again. Like I would be happy if I never played Munchkin again after that one game with the space expansion. 
Why do you think people still love it so much? Because I've never. I'm going to put my hands up here and say I've never played it. I'm physically actually putting my hands in the air for some reason, even though neither <laughs> of us can see each other. But what? What kind of? Um, yeah. What you know? What do you think the attraction is behind it? Well, I think just people are different. Like. I played Catan every day for probably a year, and I was completely satisfied with that. But if you wanted me to do that today, like, hey, Carla, every day play Catan, I'd be like, no, I have other (laughs) things to do. I know other games now. Like, I'll play a different game every day for a year. Like, that sounds like a fun challenge. But I think when people don't know what else is out there... Like, you can just be satisfied playing the same game if you only know two games. What would you change about Catan now? Because this sounds like somebody who loved it. I guess it's almost like feeding you apple pie every day for like three years and then going away for a couple of years and coming back and saying, you really like apple pie, would you like some apple pie right now? And you're just like, no, I'm sick of the apple pie. (laughs) What was it, if you had to go back say I'm like say okay here's a here's your choice okay you can have what's in the box or you can have another game of Catan but you get to change any type of Catan part of it that you would want to with your game design type head on what is it you would change about Catan then? So I haven't actually played any of the other Catans so I don't know what's been done and what hasn't but uh, that being said so this kind of goes into Stellar Leap um because Stellar Leap is kind of a Catan-ish game, uh, so what right. I did in that was I added variable player powers. So, um, if you could, like, so in Catan, you roll the dice and you might get resources or you might not. Um, yeah. But I would add in some variable player powers, so like, oh, okay, it's my turn, I can manipulate the dice in these ways, so I'm going to make my choices on the numbers I'm going to uh, go around. Uh, based on the power I have to more increase my chances of actually getting resources. I would play that game. I'd have to say I'd play that game. We moved away from Catan. You are continuing to play. Is there anything that just kind of caught your eye kind of quite recently that you have continued to play, continue to like, up until obviously you started getting involved in the Stellar Leap type of thing? Uh, well, I've been doing Stellar Leap for about almost a year at this point. Um, okay. But what games do I like? Um, yeah. Uh, I really like uh, The Great Dinosaur Rush is amazing. Um, okay. I, I love dinosaurs, and in The Great Dinosaur Rush, you are getting bones of dinosaurs. Like, there's different phases. So, like, you're getting bones, and then you have the creation phase, and you have to create a dinosaur out of the weird bones that you have. So, this is, like, the only creative game that I have ever enjoyed, mostly because you get to create weird, crazy dinosaurs. So, how long? I mean, um, okay, so is it... Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. So, you, you basically... you Is it all about you dig up the bones, first of all, or you get the bones, and then you have to decide what you're kind of going to be building. How does it? How does it work? Is it a card game? Is it a? Is it a dice based game? What type of game is it? Uh, so the bones themselves are just little wooden rods, and they're different colors. So you are in an excavation site, and you just you move to the bones that you want, and then you can pick them up. 
And you do that, I think, three times, and then you create your dinosaur, and then you create dinosaurs three times. But you have these uh, hidden cards. Like, you need to have a dinosaur that has this size head with this size legs. And you can get more of those uh, hidden, like, extra point cards. But another aspect of it is that you are an archaeologist and you say what things are really important for dinosaurs to have. Like, if you think it's really important that they have big heads, then you make that worth more points. Because after you create your dinosaur, it gets rated in all the different categories. And I think the different categories are, like, size and length and weirdness and big-headedness. And I feel like there's another category. But, so you want the category that you're, that you are gonna make, like, a crazy dinosaur in, uh, to give you the most points, and the ones that your opponents are gonna make, like, have those mean less points. So. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is! Like, well, creating dinosaurs and bones, like, that's part of it, is, like, just making your dinosaur look as dinosaur-ish as possible, which is really hard. Like, your first game, it's not going to look like a dinosaur. It's going to look like garbage. <laughs> but you need that first garbage dinosaur, so then you can learn. All right. Okay. Did you Have you still got this? Have you still got it, then? you still got the Great Dinosaur Rush, then? or have you... Yeah. It's, like, right on my, my shelf. Like, it's, like, one of my favorites. I think it's even in co- my Kickstarter video. That's how favorite it is. How, have you built up quite a big collection of board games then over the years? Yes. I kind of have a problem because I'm like, <laughs> whoa, there's this Kickstarter. I want it. And well, Kickstarter is awesome for me because uh, I like to not pay attention to it. And then I just come home one day and it's like, whoa, this is a board game I like. Thanks, past me, for getting this for me. <laughs> It's kind of like um, it's kind of like having a Christmas day that you didn't realize was Christmas day, and then having it all kind of turn up, and then it's not like opening up something from like an ante. It's like opening something up from maybe somebody who really knows you quite well, like an old friend, and they go, "You're really gonna like this," and you open up and you're going, "You're really, really right. I do kind of like it." Do you um? Do you go for more for Kickstarter games than kind of published games then? I mean, do you have more of the kind of the, yeah, do you have the more kind of the project stuff than the stuff you would normally kind of get in the shop? So do you have a nice little mixture? Um, At the beginning when I was buying stuff, I bought from stores, but at this point it's mainly just buying at from Kickstarter and at conventions. And... I've kind of restricted myself from buying otherwise because I have a lot of unplayed games. <laughs> so I want to get that list down and then maybe I'll order something from Cool Stuff or something. <laughs> okay. What's the last thing you remember kind of... Well, no. <clears throat> what's What what kind of games... What's the games that are in your list that are coming to you that you're really kind of looking forward to getting on your doorstep? Huh. Like, so I... Like I said, like, I try to, like, buy and forget, but (laughs) I think uh, Dinosaur Island, I don't mean to be like, hey, I like dinosaurs, but Dinosaur Island by Pandasaurus is coming out, and it should be, like, a dinosaur theme park. I've heard it's really good. Yeah, we've got um, John Gilmore's coming on the show at the end of the month, so thank you for mentioning that, because we can give a quick plug plug 
but yeah, John is going to be coming back. John was on a little while, and yes, Dinosaur Island looks fantastic. It's not just the mechanics they've gone for, because they are essentially going for Jurassic Park, but they've gone for like a 1980s day-glow colour scheme kind of vibe. You know, it's the type of thing you would see in a kind of a 1980s dance video, the kind of the colours, the leg warmer <laughs> kind of colour scheme. It's absolutely kind of fantastic. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, have you also seen... Um, Alongside Pandasaurus, have you seen Wasteland Express Delivery Service? Is that kind of piqued your interest at all? I saw it at Gen Con when I was there, but I didn't like look into it because I was trying not to look into games because I might buy them. <laughs> is it is it that bad, Clara? Is it is it kind of? Oh, I'll just pick that up and I'll just have that. Well, sometimes, like, I get really excited. I'm like, whoa, that has a theme I like with a mechanic I like? That's, like, double. I should just buy that thing. But, um, yeah, I have an unplayed pile, and my goal was not to buy anything until I played through it, and I have failed spectacularly at that. But it has curbed my buying a little bit. What's what's in your non-played pile at the moment, then? He's sticking away from Kickstarter because I don't want to accidentally mention a Kickstarter project for you and then you to be kind of like going off and going, oh, I'll have a a look at that one. I'll see what that one's all about. Um, What's, (laughs) well, you know, it's like I don't want to be an enabler. (laughs) We're not not wizards enabling Kickstarter since (laughs) 2016. Um, What is it you, yeah, is there, what's in your, if you turn around and look at the top, you know, five games that you haven't played. Could you do that? Just look at your shelf and say, here's five games I haven't touched. Oh, uh, yeah, I have my uh, my bookcase like kind of within view, so that's actually pretty easy. Um, I think my <laughs> the one I'm most excited about is Underlings of Underwing, which is a right. color theory dragging game. All right, okay. Yeah, it should be a worker placement. I haven't read the rules yet, but I mean, dragons and colors sound great together. Um, there's also Near and Far, where Near and Far is kind of like Above and Below, but it also adds in a campaign mode, and I love the whole legacy thing. I haven't got. I've heard about it. I've heard a lot about this, and people seem to be. There's a, a gentle hum that's turned into a buzz that's now turned into a bit of excitement about this game, so. Um, sorry, you were going to say the legacy. The legacy aspect is quite quite cool, you were saying. Yeah, but with the legacy aspect, with a legacy game, you have to get a group that you know can finish it and that you're going to enjoy seeing every week, every, like a couple times a week. So I have to make that like super group. Um, but also I have a Kickstarter that's going to happen. So I thought like, okay, Kickstarter goes from September to October and then late October I can start near and far with a great group and have like so much fun. <laughs> What else have you got kind of in that list that you have to kind of get to the table then? So I like escape rooms a lot and they actually have escape room board games. So I'm hoping that maybe next Saturday can be my escape room board game day. Um, I have uh, at least two of the unlocks. Um, I got like the one with the plane and hmm. the one without the clown, because the clown, like, I don't need things with clowns that are in my house. 
Um, I'm assured that, like... It's like a whole other story. No, like, that's just, like, a personal preference. Like, okay, do I need this thing that has a clown face in my house? And I always say no. No, I do not need this clown in my house. Um, I've never seen it or anything with clowns. It's just, you know, personal preference. But, uh, I actually heard that... The unlock with the clown is actually the best one, the one you should play first, so I'm going to have to actually buy it, and it will be in my house for a finite period of time until it's destroyed, so <laughs> I guess it'll be okay. There's a, there's there's definitely not a, you're not lining up to be first in queue to buy tickets to the circus kind of vibe that I'm kind of getting here. No, like, well, I like circuses because I like, like, the elephants and stuff, but Mm. I, yeah, I don't tend to go to circuses. I could, like, (laughs) just see the elephants from afar, I'm fine, but there's... (laughs) So what you were saying? So there's also, so I have the two unlock games, but I also have uh, the escape room in a box, which is, like, a werewolf front one, and that was, like, a Kickstarter, I think I backed it, like, two years ago. And I'm, like, super excited because this escape room game, you can actually... There's, like, a refill kit, so you could give it to somebody, which I think is really cool because... So, uh, one day, uh, I coordinate some stuff at work because sometimes I don't like it when others make decisions for me. So, we had this, uh, I don't know, collaboration event, and I was like, we can all play an escape room board game. So, I ordered 20 of them, and... (laughs) We all played a lot of escape room board games, but then I went and I, like, recovered all of them from the trash, because I was like, no, you can't throw away a board game. No. Did you rescue them? Did you take them for a home of um, trashed board games then? I think there is going to be kind of places like that that are going to open up, and their whole point behind them is that... If you've got board games that you think are rubbish and you don't think you're even going to bother selling them and you want to get rid of them, you can send them here. And what we'll do is we will look after them through their final days. And I can see the TV advert. It's like, we never ever put a healthy board game down. And then music in the background. And then you can have like a video montage of a guy just going about like a like a dog pen, except when he's looking into the pens... Instead of there being like little dogs, there's actually just like different board games on different tables. And then you can see him, he's turning around to his partner and they nod at each other and then they take this board game home and they give it a new life. We just need a name. That's all, <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> yeah, like exactly that. Like I would have, I would donate so many games to that, including all these, like I have like literally just a stack of 20 escape room games just sitting there because i was like these can't be trash but what do i do now (laughs) well you could do that you could take it along to almost like you know the the board ah, oh here we go the boarding kennels Mm -hmm. there's the name we have to make that that has to that has to kind of happen how do you go from somebody who's playing board games and enjoying them and occasionally tinkering with them to somebody that sits down one day and says, okay, I'm going to make a company. I'm going to start making games. Because is Stellar Leap, is that the first game that you've done? I mean... 
No, I actually made one called Super Hack Override, which was like a hacker battle in the 80s and stuff, and uh, that was just a really small card game. Um, and I made that last year. It was on Kickstarter last September, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So how that came to be was uh, I was going to Dragon Con, which is in uh, a convention in Atlanta. And so this convention, you only get to go to a certain number of panels during the day. So you have to pick out like, oh, I really want this one. And that's yeah. like your your one thing. That you get to go to because you have to line up for like three hours and it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but so I had like some extra time where I was like, I don't know what to do. So I looked at the schedule and um, I think it was even in the building I was currently in because of Dragon Con spans like at least three or four hotels. But anyway, so where I was, there was a how to make a board game uh, panel and I was like, huh, I'm not doing anything. I can go sit in this panel. And I went there, and I was like, and they gave, like, a bunch of good tips and stuff about how to make your board game. And I was like, whoa, it's actually not that hard to make a board game, right? (laughs) You just need note cards. That's what they said. Just use note cards. Um, They didn't go into a lot of depth it was mainly like just how to prototype and stuff but like i was really motivated by that like if they had been like hey carla actually it's it's a lot of work it's not just note cards you need more than that you need so much time and networking skills and all these other skills like graphics and stuff to make it work out like i might not be in the spot i am but like they were all like it's so easy guys just try it. And then by the time you try it, you're like hooked. So um, I went to that yeah. panel and yeah. uh, during the convention, like, as I said, like, we were staying in lines for hours and we had Love Letter on us. So I was All right, like, okay. yeah, you can play Love Letter, but like normally you have a discard pile. So instead of doing that, uh, whenever you discarded a card, we just put the card face out in your hand so people could still see the cards, and we played Love Letter like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we could just make a game like this, like a game that is meant to be played while standing in line, because I've been in this line for three hours and I need something to <laughs> occupy myself. So that was really the basis of Super Hack Override. And also, so uh, Huntsville and Atlanta are about four hours away. Yeah. So we'd had this idea, like, let's make a game where you put stuff face out and stuff. But then we had the four-hour drive, so we just, uh, the people I was with, uh, it was me and uh, my husband Nick and my friends Brent and Elise, and we just brainstormed for, like, four hours about this game that later became Super Hack Override. (laughs) How did the Kickstarter do then? It did really well. So the goal was fifteen hundred, and I ended up making about six thousand six hundred. So um, I met the goal, which was yeah. great. We met some stretch goals, which I really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it's a game that you can buy. So what? So okay. So what do you actually do in the game? Because if people can buy it, then you know, let's let's talk about this. What what do you actually do? And what do you actually do in Super Hack Override? What's the what's the basis behind it? You said it's it's a card game. 
you've mentioned a little bit of kind of like love letter, but what what do you actually do in Super Hack Override? So you are a hacker in Super Hack Override. You uh, want to impress the supreme super hacker because he's retiring and he's going to pass down all of his super impressive hacks to the person that impresses him. So you need to get to a certain amount of points. And how you do this is each card in your hand is a hack. And you pass out all the cards in the beginning of the game. So you start off with this hand of hacks and you start playing them from your hand. But as you know, with hackers, once you reveal a hack that you've done, then other people know how you how you hacked that and they can replicate it. So as the game goes on, you start off with only the options in your hands as things to play. But then as other people play and reveal stuff, you can choose to play their cards. And what happens in that case is uh, you get the effect of their hack, so you get whatever benefit from that card, and then it goes back into their hand. So you can take points away from others while also getting a really cool effect. How long, how long does it take to play? Um, About 10 to 20 minutes. It's super fast. It's one of those games where it's meant like you play, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I lost, but I want to play again right now. So you can just <laughs> play games over and over again. Um, it's really exciting because uh, whenever I explain it, I'm like, yeah, I'm a software engineer. I know about hacking. So all this is real. It's a very real thing. <laughs> so did you actually, when you were designing the cards, did you actually use jargon on the cards that were actual hacks then? Or did you kind of replicate kind of stuff like that on the, the card and flavor text and things like that? So it all sounds kind of real, but it's like, it's not like uh, I have uh, proxy swaps, which swap cards, and proxy is a computer word, but it's a proxy swap isn't a real thing. Like, okay. or I name things like buffer overflow, and it does something, but that's not what an actual buffer overflow does. So, uh, yeah, it sounds technical, but it's not really. It's like did it's, you? So I was gonna say, did you get actual kind of? Um, computer geeky nerdy guys kind of calling you out and actually saying that your buffer overflow doesn't do what that does i did not nobody actually <laughs> called me out on it but uh i work so i uh huntsville is called rocket city because like we're all basically engineers here mm. so a lot of people saw it and they were like whoa this is like my job but not really it's just making fun <laughs> And if um, if people want if people want to to get a hold of the game, they can get that on on your website. I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, or they could go to superhackoverride.com mm-hmm. because I'm really fancy with computers and I have a ton of URLs. So they could go there <laughs> and order the game, and then I will send it to you. And I can include a fancy like handwritten note because I do stuff like that. Is that what? You, do you, yeah. Um, Okay, here's the question. Where did the where did the weird giraffe come from? Okay, so my name is Carla Cop. Uh, hmm. I have these ideas on what people will think funny and not, and most of the time the answer is no, that's not funny. So um, I also really enjoy animals. I don't know if you've noticed this, like animals and dinosaurs and stuff. So there's yeah. this animal called called the okapi. It's like the only relative of the giraffe. It's this thing yeah. that lives in Africa forests and it has uh, like it has like a long neck, but it also has the butt of a zebra, essentially. 
Have you heard of this, the Okapi? I have pretty much, I probably have, and I'm actually going to just, I'm going to Google it now. It's brown. Yeah. Um, it looks like if you asked, um, if you asked James, age six, to draw what he thinks, a kind of a, <laughs> if you just go and draw some kind of animal and it's got to have stripes like a zebra, potentially look like a dog and have hoofs, this is the strangest looking animal ever. So, a, yeah. 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 So you were saying, yeah. Yeah, so the Okapi. Uh, my last name is Cop, so I was like, this is perfect. Everyone knows Okapis and likes puns and stuff. So I made uh, Okapi games, like O-K-O-P-P-I games, like just shoving my name into the Okapi uh, word, and uh, exactly no one got that. No <laughs> Did you end up having to kind of like change, you make the website and then you actually needed to explain what that was in the first line of the website, put a photograph, put a link to the Wikipedia article, put a link to a YouTube video, put a link to where you can actually buy Okapi merchandise. Is that why you just turned around and went, right, you know, forget it. Well, I'm no, just going for I'm, the giraffe. So what I did was I made an Okapi in paint. Like the little pixelated guy, and I was like, "See, guys, it's an Okapi. Don't you know this?" Um, so I kind of went like probably a step too abstract because actually seeing like the Google Okapi, like like just the pictures that come up in Google, would have been a lot more helpful than me uh, <laughs> pixelating something in paint. But uh, I don't know. Sometimes I get too excited and I solve my problems in the wrong way. <laughs> So you decide. So you've still got the Okapi, but why? Why are you calling yourself Weird Giraffe Games then? Well, what is an Okapi? I'm also like not that creative. I'm like, okay, this is my name, Okapi Games, and then I was like, okay, I gotta fix the name. What? What is an Okapi? Well, it's a weird giraffe. So there you go. So you have something which is like pretty much dark brown with stripes as the logo, and there's no actual spots of a giraffe. It's brilliant. I think it's fantastic. I think you should have stuck with Okapi, and then if people didn't know, you should have just said, well, you know, why don't you know? Everybody else knows. You're yeah. the first person. You're the first person that's ever told me they don't know what an Okapi is. <laughs> you need to go and have... <laughs> you need to go and bright <laughs> broaden your horizons, if you don't mind me saying so. So, <clears throat> super super hack override. How long was it before you kind of released between you finding or founding or using proper grammar before you found in kind of weird giraffe games and then you getting to actually release kind of super hack override? Did it all happen at the same time? Were you playing about with lots of other games before you decided? I mean, what came first? Was it the weird giraffe or the super hack overdrive kind of thing? Uh, it was Super Hack Override, um, which is another like weird thing. Like for some reason, people say Super Hack Overdrive a lot, and I haven't been able to figure out why. But I don't know, maybe because people like cars or something. But uh, yeah, we uh, after that one drive back from Dragon Con, there was like a three month period where I didn't do anything, and then one day I was like, you know, that guy said that designing a game was easy, and I have this idea. And I have this pack of note cards. So I did the whole note card thing, and I made people play with me, and then, like, it kind of worked as a game, and I was like, whoa, 
I made something. I should make this better. Um, so we started like researching like what you need to do to make a game. Mm. So then the company happened. Did you ever meet that gentleman again that said games making was easy? Have you seen him since? Or are the police still trying to find him? <laughs> I have not, but I've also not been to Dragon Con again because, yeah, I have better things to do and it's also really hot and it was kind of traumatic that last year that I went. So. Right. <laughs> Just cross that off the list. Go back to. No, we're not going anywhere near anything that's got the word dragon in it at all, if you took in and don't mind. <laughs> so. Super Hack Override did well. I mean, it's five. T- I mean, five times the funding goal for your first project's pretty. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty decent. You know, that's that's a good. That's a good result. You get the bug. You get the game out to the backers. Do you? Are you already by that time working on Stellar Leap, or did you have? Was it the difficult second album? Did you have a pile of other games that you were working on before you decided to go down the the road of the Stellar Leap? So while I was fulfilling Superhack, I believe that fulfilled in March 2017. Mm -hmm. But so we have this thing. I live in Huntsville and basically everyone goes on vacation in December. So like work happens, but like it doesn't. So, uh, it was December of 2016, and I was like, whoa, I have this idea for this other game. Let me try it out. And I went to Word, and I printed it, and I did the whole, like, playing it out, and I was like, whoa, this is a game. I should continue <laughs> with it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm always, like, surprised when I, like, I'm like, this is the first prototype, so it could just fail. But then it's like, whoa, this is playable. That's cool. <laughs> Do you find that because of your day job um, of doing computery type things that you look at things in a kind of a logical fashion as opposed to maybe... I, I know that people... I know that creators go through different things. Some Somebody will look for a theme and then look at creating a game around it. While other people that are more kind of maybe they're a fan of their Euro games will look into mechanics and then fit a theme on top of that. So what, what what would you say you are kind of more like? So I think that I come up with like mechanics first and then theme, but usually it's like, oh, this is a cool mechanic. Oh, this could go with the theme. And then it's like, oh, this is the game. Like I don't start, it's not like, oh, this is the first thing that happened and this was the second. It's like, this is the game. These three or four <laughs> things together and I will go from there. <laughs> do you I mean do you have a particular style of um of artwork that you're trying to go for then because I'm looking at um I'm looking at Stellar Leap just now um are you trying to go for like a similar art theme throughout the kind of the game the games that you're going to create or are you trying to diversify between the ones that you do so one thing I really like are neon bright colors, and those are in both of the games. I also really enjoy accessibility, so the like being able to differentiate the colors regardless, like even if you are you have this kind of color blindness or this kind. Um, but like when you're trying to do the accessibility, like the bright differentiated colors are kind of what results. So I think all my games will have like that bright 
neon feel. It's like being in a 1980s party with you then. When you're looking at, say, like, say, Stellar Leap and even, like, you know, Super Hack Override beforehand, do you... Did you go out and play test it to a lot of people before you decided to take it further? I mean, with Stellar Leap, has it gone through a lot of play testing? Have you involved, kind of, I know you've mentioned, obviously, your husband, Nick. Is it something that you and Nick would sort out together, or do you put it out into, kind of, like, local game groups and stuff like that? So, yes. Uh, before we go into local game groups, I play it over and over with Nick to make sure, like, it's actually playable and enjoyable and get out all the major kinks. But then, yeah, I definitely go out into the public. Um, I have a local design group, um, that meets at like every other Monday. So mm. I bring designs to them and they play test it and give me more feedback and stuff. But then I also have a monthly thing where I invite mm. like the community to come out and play test. So I have play tested Starly for at least nine months at this point. Um, yeah, a lot of different feedback from people. Uh, I think like the best place to play test, like after well, like, getting uh, different people from the community was really helpful just to know that, hey, yeah, people that aren't my husband enjoy this game, too. Um, <laughs> that's important. Getting, like, strangers and stuff to be like, hey, I'm Carla. I made this game. Tell me everything you hate about it. And then if they don't have that much, it's like, okay, this stranger enjoys it. Um, stranger. I hope you find their names out and don't just go around calling, okay, stranger. Okay, stranger. And just actually find out what they're called. Because otherwise that'd be rude. That's probably why you're getting bad... If you are getting bad feedback. Maybe no. name badges. No, I definitely... Yes, I do find out people's names. Because, like, well, one thing about meeting new people is... For some reason, people like it if you say their name. So, like, you learn somebody's name and then you, like, say it at them a bunch of times and then they like you more. I feel like mm. there's been a study on this. But also, I am terrible with names. So, if I do that, if I'm like, hey, you, like, hey, Ben, and I just, like, keep on repeatedly saying, like, Ben, like, then I will remember them, like, as Ben. So, it helps me remember because it's, like, when I see them again in, like, six months... And I remember their name. They're, like, super impressed. And it's really because I just mentioned it, like, ten times. <laughs> so you've kind of learned it yourself at the same time. Yeah. I'm really... I am i don't know. I think the... Um, I'm more terrified of mispronouncing somebody's name incorrectly. When we did the episode with uh, uh, Mark Neidlinger from Orange Nebula, I must have went through and tried to pronounce his name about 15 times, just in case. Because there'd be nothing <laughs> worse than kind of completely messing up somebody's pronunciation of their name and then at the end of it they get to the end of the episode and they go it's actually it's pronounced this way you actual <laughs> idiot <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at well okay Stellar Leap is a space exploration game for one to four players what's this all about then Carla Okay, what do so you do how do you play so it's a space exploration dice game. It has hidden traits, uh, variable player powers, and game-changing events. So you start off the game, well, during setup, you set up the, the dice cards because they go from one to six. Um, and they do this because on your turn, you roll two dice, you manipulate the dice using your uh, variable player power, and then planets will generate resources based off of that. 
So you want to be on the planets uh, that generate the resources, and you want to like go to your variable player power. Um, different player powers lean more towards like, oh, you should be on the six, obviously, because you will most likely be able to get resources. Some of mm. them like make you go to the other end of the spectrum. But yeah, so you generate the resources, and then you get to go into the action phase. Um, with the resource generation, it's much like Catan or Machikoro or those games yeah. where everyone gathers resources at the same time. So you have to basically pay attention on other players' turns. And it also kind of turns into a uh, where you try to manipulate it a little. You're like, hey, you know, you could change that into a four and then you'll get water and then I'll get water. So it's mm-hmm. uh, there's a negotiation aspect to it if you are into negotiating. And there's a collaborative aspect because if you know that somebody wants the planets on six to generate, you can just go to those planets so that every time the person in front of you uh, gets resources, then you get resources too. But then it goes into the action phase. So during mm-hmm. this phase, you get to do two high command actions, and that includes things like making more population so you can be on more planets. You can tax, which is just a plain get more resources. You can discover planets or asteroids. So there's two kinds of planets, which are the safe planets, which are, you know, really easy to get to. And then there's the dangerous planets, which are a lot harder and they require more fuel to get to. So you choose which one you want to do. You draw two cards. And then you place it in whatever column that you want. Um, If you get an asteroid, you can then uh, go into your division actions. You have three different division actions you can do. Yeah. And one of them is mine. So with mining asteroids, um, that's kind of a push-your-luck thing. Because uh, when you first discover an asteroid, it gets an asteroid die on them. And it'll be equal to three. So the first person that mines the asteroid gets to roll three dice. Um, based on the highest die rolled, so uh, it's a d6, so if they get six rolled, they get six resources plus whatever the asteroid says, and mm. which is a lot of a lot of resources. You can get, um, I think uh, the high number is five, so you can get up to 11 of a certain resource, and your cargo hold can only hold 20, so like you can do a lot with that amount of resources. You want to be the first one that gets to that asteroid. Yeah. Um, so that kind of incentivizes the whole discovering thing. Um, the fourth high command action is attacking. So um, attacking is kind of uh, unique in this game in that some games don't attack at all. Like no one attacks because they don't like that. But in other games, like depending on who you're playing against, they're like, I'm going to attack every time I get because that's who I am as a player. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really fun because it's like, Okay, I'm playing with new people. It, what kind of game is it going to be? Are we all going to like be happy and collaborate together, or are we just going to like destroy each other? You what know? kind of player are you then? I tend to be the more collaborative one, personally. But really? Yes. Which really? Is... <laughs> I, I, you don't. I can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine. Potentially, a little on occasion, you would go all out attack. Uh, sometimes, yes. So I was <laughs> developing the solo mode for um, uh, Stellar Leap, and so I like rarely attacked. 
Ah, right, okay. Unless I had the hidden trait for that. Like, um, everyone has a hidden trait where they get a certain amount of prestige for doing certain actions. So, Hmm. you know, if I had that and that's how I got to win, then I would, of course, attack. But uh, with the solo mode, uh, there's AI that um, emulate different ways that players can act in the game. And I had put two of the AIs together, so I was facing two at once. And I was like, okay, the obvious way to kill these is you just attack them all. You attack these guys constantly. And I had, like, such fun with that. I don't know if it was because I was, like, not attacking a real person. But that, yeah, it is very, um, I get a lot of fun out of attacking sometimes in the game. (laughs) So you do. The answer is you do. I'm collaborative, but on occasion I just like to go all out attack. Yeah, like you, like sometimes you're like, I want to see the world burn. Why not? <laughs> yeah, everybody likes to think they're collaborative, but everybody also, when it came down to a little bit of world burning, that goes a long way. Um, I, you, I mean, looking looking at this, I mean, you've kept the kind of the components kind of simple. Um, was that kind of keeping in mind trying to keep the kind of the the overall target kind of low? Is that why you did that, or you know what 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 kind of drove your decision to kind of keep the funding level to below ten? I mean, it's ten below ten thousand dollars, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, if you run a Kickstarter campaign and your funding goal is below ten thousand, you're more likely to fund. So. Yeah. Uh, that was part of it. I did not actually plan on making Stellar Leap as big as it was. So yeah. Super Hack, it was just cards. It was just a tiny, tiny game. Like it ended up being around thirty to forty cards, but shipping that was amazing. Like you could just send it off from China, and then you don't have to do anything. So I was like, okay, my next game, I want it to be slightly larger, but not yeah. too big, not real big. But I kind of overshot that by a long shot. Like it, <laughs> I put well, way too much in the game. You've got um, there's go. You've got meeples. You've got um, a couple of meeples. You've got a, you've got um, sixteen mil dice and twelve mil dice. You seem to have a, how many? You seem to have a whack of cards in here, and they don't just seem to be. They seem to be reasonable size cards. At the same time, by looking at the pictures, of the um, the playtesters as well. Um, did you get to a point where you went from kind of thinking, I'm going to do stuff which will serve as the game, to the point where you're thinking, well, actually, if I've come this far, I might as well really start to make the game that I'd really want to make, as opposed to just mechanically getting by? Uh, so, I think I made the game that I wanted to make. I did not mm-hmm. also make an expansion that's going to be with the Kickstarter at the same time, but... Yeah. so. While I was designing the game, uh, I iterate a lot, and I try not to make, like, big changes. Like, I'll be like, okay, this one aspect needs to change, let's change that one thing, see how Mm. it plays, go from there. Mm. And I would go through the entire game, like, oh, are the planets okay? Okay, they're good, let's go to missions. Are those okay? And, like, change and slowly get through the entire game. And I got a lot of the components that way, where... um, like the the player powers. I originally had four because I wanted to support four players. But then, yeah. you know, like when you're dealt a player power and it's not 
Like, you don't get any choice with that. And it was like, that's kind of lame. There could be a better way. What if you're given the choice of two? Okay, that's Mm -hmm. a lot better, right? You get, like, you get two choices. You are making a decision, which always makes people feel a lot better. So I had to come up with four more player powers. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Yeah, just like that. But, like, sometimes, uh, well, in my experience... I had come up with four player powers, and I was like, yeah, this is good. This is all my ideas. But then when I was like, okay, Carla, you got to make eight, it was like, okay, here's four more. (laughs) It's like whenever I give myself, like, this is the number I need to get to, I tend to get there, like, without that much effort, which I should probably give myself, like, a higher goal than I need to actually make, like, uh... (laughs) So I'm also designing this other space game called Observance, and there's 77 constellations, I think, and I went through and I was like, okay, each of these is different. I'll just make a different power for each one, and I was like, that's going to be so hard. But then, like, (laughs) I got the spreadsheet out, and I was like, here's one, here's another one, here, I'm just typing, 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 and then I got to the end of the list, and I was like, oh, I have no more ideas left coincidentally i had exactly what i needed so well so you've already planned out your next game already is it going to be staying within the same kind of um Deglo theme then are you going to go for something different artistically then um uh, maybe different artists or a different artist i'm not sure so i have two different games uh that i could go next either observance or this other abstract named drapple Mm-hmm. Or I could, um, I also have a kind of legacy game for Stellar Leap. All right, okay. So, yeah, so, um, okay, going back, like, I was uh, trying to design Stellar Leap, and I had these ideas for other things, and I was like, okay, that's cool and all that I have this idea, but, like, let's just put it in this folder, because I'm going to iterate through in a methodical manner, and if I need another event or another card, I will reference this other folder of ideas, like, I tend to focus more. So I got to a point where I was like, yeah, Stellar Leap, it's doing good. Like, there's no aspect Hmm. I haven't looked at, and it's great. And then I was like, you know, what am I going to do for the next month before the Kickstarter? Well, I could look at that idea folder of all the Stellar Leap stuff that I didn't do. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I can just make an expansion. So uh, that's the Stellar Leap Frontiers micro expansion. It has a bunch of cards and stuff that I had deemed earlier were a bit like crazy and weird. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, well, uh, so in playtesting Stellar Leap, uh, some people don't like the craziness to happen. And uh, I'm okay with that because I'm like, you know, what happens in space, you can't, you can't know. <laughs> It could be anything. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So, well, like, no, like, they legit, they were like, okay, Carla, one playtesting feedback is, um, how about instead of having all these events where, you know, they could be small, they could be large, they could just yeah. change up the entire galaxy for fun, uh, how about you take out all those, like, really big ones and put those into a crazy event pile and i was like but but then you'd only get the lame ones you'd only get like the little stuff that's not exciting and they were like yeah the lame ones enough (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> so I think I'll, I'll actually do that so that I, I'll give people the option like, hey, you can look at this event card and know if it's crazy or not. And before your game starts, you can just take it out if you want just a nice, stable... You're managing your resources, and you don't have to, like, try to anticipate the crazy stuff. I I mean, um, speaking of, I guess, um, not crazy stuff, but the... How much is a game going to cost you if you're going to be pledging for for Stellar Leap? How much are you going to be expected to put down to get your hands on a copy of the game? So if you're in the U.S., uh, it should be $39 straight. I think for other countries, there's a $10 shipping, yeah. I believe. Uh, I haven't looked at it within the last couple hours, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just sometimes... go back at it, just check it's there. Yeah, just yeah, basically... so... Well, who knows what changed? I hope nothing did, but uh, if you've ever run a Kickstarter campaign, you might be like, whoa, I added something, but it's not on the page anymore. <laughs> but, you know, that ha- that happened to me earlier this week, because I was like, okay, I added a bunch of text, I screenshot it, so I knew that it happened, and then I went back to, like, update the text, because I had, like, posted on Twitter, I was like, Twitter fix this what do you think should change and people are like carla you're bad at stuff here's what you should change and so i went back to edit it and it was gone and i was like but kickstarter why (laughs) but so that's the thing i screenshot it so i was able to put it into well i just googled i was like image to text and then i got the text back that way so i didn't have to actually retype it all because i was like super sad i was like but i typed that all i don't want to type it again (laughs) is there nowadays as much work to go into the kickstarter campaign page as much as there is kind of like on the game itself it's not as creative like so with the campaign I go and I put it out there and then I ask people to look at it and they're like hey this word's misspelled and I'm like okay yes obviously misspelled like that's easy or they're like hey you should add a sentence here or um you should add an image and all that is pretty like yep that's exactly what I should do but with game design people are like oh I have too many resources And you're like, okay, let's think about this. What, okay, how are all the, like, ways you could fix this? And you might brainstorm and be like, here's five ways I could fix it. Let's, let's choose one, make that change, and test it. Oh, did that fix it? Did it not? Did it fix it a little bit? Like, should I keep that change or should I try another one? Like, Game design is a lot more creative in that aspect, and it's not obvious. Like, Mm. with the campaign page, I can look at it, and I can be like, yes, that looks better. I don't Mm. need somebody else's opinion on whether, like, the change I just made looks better. But with a game, like, like, I can't just look at it and be like, yes, this card will work better in a game. I have to actually, Mm. like, take the time and play with it, and then... Like, you can't just play it once. You'll also have to play it, like, with Stellar Leap. I made a change, so I had to play the solo mode, and the two-player, and the three-player, and the four-player, and maybe play all of them, like, two or three times, and then I'm like, yes, this is good. Like, you can, um, kind of, like, if something's bad, 
you can normally tell. Like, okay, this didn't work. Let's take it back. But if it's something is good, I'm not sure it's good until I play it with every player account. And with different people. Like, you have to play with aggressive and non-aggressive and make sure it works with both of them. Okay. Okay. Do you... I mean, are you still... Have you finished tinkering with Stellar Leap? Or are you still always going to be tinkering with it? So, I have changed some things. Like, I sent the copies of the games to reviewers in early August. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. But then I changed some more stuff. (laughs) So, I think at this point, I am only trying to make the solo player work better and... By that, I mean I still have to blind playtest with the solo, solo player more and make mm. it um, really like easy to understand. But I think overall, like unless I blind playtest and somebody does like something crazy and doesn't understand mm. anything, it should be pretty good. Um, so Stellar Leap, I think, is solid, but I've said that before. So... <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe I'll be like, like, well, sometimes I just, like, I get this idea. Like, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I need to change how missions work. <laughs> and so I go and... <laughs> just go off and change the whole thing. Yeah, well, like, I don't change the whole thing, but I'm like, oh, okay, I have my list of things to change and see if they're better or not. And, mm. like, people come to me, like, um, I do, like, have Stellar Leap with reviewers and they are giving me comments and I'm like, oh, you said this, but what you meant was this, and maybe I should actually change that thing. Um, because, like, I'm not the most, like, receptive all the time. Like, so sometimes a playtester says something to me, and I'm yeah. like, okay, I heard you, um, uh. but I'm not going to make a change because you're one person. But then <laughs> I hear it, like, five times, and on yeah. the fifth time, I'm like, Oh, yes, I understand you, person. I understand (laughs) what you're saying, and I have an idea to fix it. But, like, until you get to the the certain number of people that say the thing, but it's also, if if only one person thinks something, is it important? Um, That's also a thing, so. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody come back to you and and said something, and you've went, you're actually right, This this could be slightly different and could make an awful lot of change or do you rely on lots of people kind of telling you as you said oh sometimes it is like somebody gives me a uh, thing and they're like that's how uh, I got to the two uh, two player powers thing yeah. was somebody was like you know what it'd be better if I had a choice and I was like yes obviously why didn't I think of that <laughs> like and there's been like a couple instances like that um so I went to origins and Origins yeah. is like a week long of playing board games. And I got so many designers to play my game. And when you get designers to play your game, you get like all this like really, really good feedback. So yeah. I would play the game like five times a day and like I'd play and change and play and change. So sometimes I do not need somebody to tell me five times. But <laughs> There are those circumstances where it's like, oh, you're the seventh person to say that. Yeah, now I, I understand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you, in terms of stretch goals, <clears throat> do you feel, do you naturally have stretch goals ready or do you feel 
because you're looking at a higher funding level, do you feel a bit of pressure? And in Kickstarter in general, there seems to be there seems to be a lot. It seems to be almost frowned upon if you're not putting out mega amounts of stretch goals. Have you? I mean, notice on your page you you don't have any listed. I mean, I've I've seen the kind of the work in progress page, which is in case anybody's wondering. Um, is do you feel pressure to put in lots of stretch goals, or have you got defined stretch goals that you would do um, that you're going to set and you're not going to change, kind of thing? So I have, I think, like fifteen stretch goals right now. Okay. Um, I think you saw an earlier one where I just didn't have the graphics ready. I don't. I actually don't have the next stretch goal out just because. You know, uh, I've heard it's better to wait, like, wait until, like, the third day to put out stretch goals or wait until yeah. you're funded because, well, I have seen Kickstarters where they have a goal and then they have a stretch goal and you look at it and you're like, whoa, that person thinks that they're going to possibly get to that stretch goal? <laughs> How dumb are they? And it- but, like, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, so she thinks that she's going to get, like, $20,000. I'm not going to. Yeah. I, I am going to just live in the moment and, oh, if I get to the to the goal, then I'll be like, mm. oh, yay, I did the thing. Now I can, like, set my sights a little higher because, like, it's, it's better for me to just be positive and be like, yeah, we can probably fund, right? Yeah, we can probably get to one stretch goal and then to go from there instead of like thinking about, oh, but what about stretch goal 15? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And you can, you can see that because I've seen that. I've seen that a few times. I've seen people that have set, um, I've seen it kind of people set goals where they're like, they've got, they're asking for $10,000 and they've set their $50,000 kind of stretch goal. And you're just, like you said, you're just kind of going, well, that's looking like you're actually asking for $50,000. It doesn't look like you're asking for $10,000. And some people will get the impression that you think, oh, you're that kind of confident. Well, they, you know, kind of kind of good luck. The other thing is as well is um, you don't have or have not seen on the graphic that I've seen that it doesn't seem to be like a deluxe version of the game. This seems to be a new trend that's come out where people will sell the base game for like... $39 but then if you pledge $59 you'll get like an, an upgraded version with bigger cards or different dice or you know different you know a, a kind of a different style box is that have you were you quite kind of set in terms of your manufacturing goals and everything like that that there was just going to be this is the game this is the game as, as we wanted to put it out here kind of thing yeah like I mean, I think I made a game version where it could be a deluxe version for other people. Like, there's, like, you don't need to have meeples. Mm. But, I mean, they're pretty cool. Like, you don't need to have all the things in the box, but I would say that the stellarly what is in the base game is kind of like a deluxe version. For people that have listened so far, okay, and they're wanting the quick elevator pitch for why they should be considering to pledge for Stellar Leap when it comes out on Monday the 18th and by by that before then you'll be listening to this episode and and uh, what what would you say is you know the quick version of why they should be considering pledging 
Okay, so Stellar Leap, it is a space exploration. It's kind of a 4X game, but it plays in much shorter time than a 4X game. It plays in about an hour. It has variable player powers, hidden traits, and game-changing events. Um, all these together means that there's a lot of replayability. Um, you get to explore a galaxy in every game, and you get to make uh, choices where you make a different galaxy every time. The galaxy is what you want to make. And it also supports a variety of player um, player styles. Um, mm. Whatever your play style is, there is something for you to do in Star Leap and be able to succeed. Well, that's that's pretty concise. I mean, that's an excellent elevator pitch between floors one and three, as far <laughs> as I would, as far as I can say. If they've listened tonight though, and they want to keep an eye on what's happening, where can we find you on the interweb nets? So I'm at Twitter at Weird Giraffes. I'm on Facebook as Weird Giraffe Games. I have a website that is. WeirdDraftGames.com. I have a mailing list that's Stellar-Leap.com that will mm-hmm. eventually go to the Kickstarter, actually. Um, you can preview the Kickstarter page. It is <laughs> StellarLeap.space yeah. slash KS. All right. I'll say that again. It's StellarLeap.space slash KS. There you so, go. Yeah, so one thing, I have a lot of URLs. <laughs> Have a collection. Have a collection. I, I have mean, many, many hats. I also have many URLs. I mean, there is what like you just want to tell someone where to go, and it's like, okay, don't memorize this big long link. Here is this simple, simple URL, and like it's StellarLeap dot space. Did you even know there was a dot space? No, I must admit, I did not know that was a, there was a dot space, and that is very. Very cool indeed. Um, if you want to find out where we are and you want to keep an eye on what we're doing or you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then you can find us on the internet, Ned Webs as well. So if you go to Twitter, you can search for us and We're Not Wizards. If you go to Facebook, We're Not Wizards. If Guess what? If you go to um, YouTube, if you search for We're Not Wizards Tabletop, you will find us there. You will find us on Stitcher. You will find us on Spreaker. You will find us on Acast. You can email us, which is magic at wearenotwizards.com or .co.uk. If you like what you've heard tonight, and Carla has been a fantastic guest, then uh, jump onto Apple Podcasts. We continually surprised at the number of people that are kind of rocking up to listen to our little show. We appreciate every single one of you. If you do like what you've heard tonight, then please feel free to go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a review. Um, As we say, when you're dropping us a review, don't give us a 10, because that'll make us big-headed. But don't give us a 1, because that'll make us cry. Give us a 5, because it's in the middle, and it's average. And we are... We're a bit average. But the person who hasn't been average tonight is the um, the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, the rather stellar guest. There you go. Which is uh, Carla Kopp. Um, thank you very, very much for being on. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And it's interesting learning about it. And best of luck with uh, Stellar Leap when it comes out. 
Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed this. It's been good fun. There are only two two more things to do. Um, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Carla? We're not. Absolutely not. We are um, doing two things. We're either going to go and hack ourselves a little mainframe and show the big man what for, or we're journeying through space, exploring planets, gathering resources, collaborating with people, or occasionally showing them what faces our phasers are set for. Um, <laughs> and the second thing, of course, is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from um, the really not weird giraffe at all, Carla. So say goodbye, Carla. Uh, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Uh, roll sixes. Um, we will be putting all of the links that Carla has mentioned tonight in the show notes so that we have notes to show. But if you're interested in a 4X game that isn't going to rob you for eight hours of your life like Twilight Imperium or Eclipse, then maybe you need to take maybe not just a leap of faith, but a stellar leap as well. Um, but until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>